Hello and welcome to Bougie Adjacent. I'm Amanda Lauren. Greetings from the Hamptons. First of all, let me just start this episode by saying I apologize if you hear any sort of like construction in the background. Um, This is the only time I have to record this because the internet went out. Um, And I think they're cutting down trees or doing some sort of yard work here or next now the dogs are barking here or next door so if you hear a buzz I tested it you can't hear it but you know who knows maybe you have super duper hearing anyway um today's episode is with Rain Hirsch it was such a fun episode you might know her from Antiques Roadshow and this really really cute show called Ridiculous Ranches which was on Ride TV which got bought out Um, and she's working on some other projects and she is an antiques expert and we didn't talk a lot about antiques we talked about hosting we talked about how she got into the business which was really really interesting to me Um, and we just had a fun conversation I really like her we had emailed back and forth a million times about things and um, I was just excited to get to know her because um, we sort of know each other. I'm going to say from Instagram or Facebook. I don't know. I meet a lot of people from social media in real life or business. It just kind of happens that way. It's true. Like my friend Elizabeth Sutton, who's an incredible artist. Um, and I think she was on. If she hasn't been on this podcast, I don't remember if she was on for some reason. Maybe it was the old version of. I don't know. I mean, I've interviewed her a million times. If she hasn't been on this podcast, I'm definitely going to have her on soon. Um, But she had followed me. So I'm always sort of meeting people that way. Um, But anyway, just sort of wanted to reflect. Sorry, this episode is a little bit late. I was in New York last week for the first time in three or four years. Um, It's I think I'm going to say four years. I don't really know because... um, you know, there the whole pandemic thing. I don't know if I was in during the... It's so weird. COVID times are so weird. It's just like hard to know. Did something happen yesterday? Did it happen a year ago? Did it happen um, four months ago? I have no clue. But it had been quite a while since I had been in the city, which if you're new here is where I grew up. Uh, my parents no longer live there. And my husband, who is also literally from the same neighborhood... I mean, I basically, when we were walking around the city and I'm like, Ethan, I basically married the New York City version of the boy next door. He grew up like a seven minute walk from where I grew up, Uh, which is sort of weird because I've always sort of fought my inner New Yorker and was like, I'll never marry a guy from New York. And yeah, well, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes things happen, sometimes things don't, but um, it's sort of funny. It was weird being in the city. We stayed at this gorgeous hotel that I highly recommend called the Ned Nomad. It's the sister property of Soho House, but it's quite different. Very, very different than Soho House. It's beautiful. They're also opening up one um, in the financial district. Uh, But we had a gorgeous suite. We would definitely stay there again. It's in the Nomad area, which growing up was not what it is now now it is super fancy when I was growing up you wouldn't even go into that neighborhood it's north of Madison Square Park it's sort of south of like kind of southwest of Macy's um southwest of Midtown West if that makes any sense um 
But it was, I mean, now it's like there's this fancy hotel. There's the Aces there. There was a Ritz-Carlton across the street. There's a Maylin and Getz. There was, um, there was this really cool place that I didn't go to that I really wanted to go to, which served alcoholic ice cream. It had like 4.9%. So like, I guess every scoop or serving was like a glass of wine. Kind of cool, right? Um, and I don't know the name of it. But I really, I next time I'm in the city, which I might go back in like two weeks, um, I definitely want to stop by if I'm in that area. But hey man, New York City is weird. It has a weird energy. It has an energy that's very different from how I remember. Now it could be because I spent most of my time downtown, which is just there's just so many people at all times. You know, in LA, you can walk down the street totally alone. But in, but in New York, it's like this, I really, my husband was not such a fan of the energy. I would not want to live there all year round. In a perfect world, I'd go like once a season to the city, um, but that's not going to happen. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can go like once or twice a year from now on. Um, but it's so cool. There's, it's just, there's so many people, there's so many things, there's so much stimulation. Um, there's always someone screaming too, which I thought was odd. Like, I don't remember that growing up, but like if you just, you know, turn off your AirPods and you listen, there's always just someone screaming. There's also so much construction. We also drove in, which was not a mistake, but we, we had parked using this thing called Spot Hero where you prepay for a spot because if not, it's like going to cost you $400 to park. Um, and I had to drop off my husband because he had planned. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to park the car. Here's a tip if you're driving into New York. Don't bother with Waze or Google Maps because it literally does not work in the city. It's not accurate the way it is in LA. Um, and so it kept telling me that the garage was on the left when it was on the right. And it took like an hour to drive around. the block. It was horrible. I literally, I almost had a breakdown. My dog Lulu was in the car and I'm like, Lulu, mommy's get, mommy can do this. Like doing affirmations in the car. It was kind of funny. Um... But it was just great to be there. Um, I wish I could have gone more places. We were only there for three days. I could have gone for like five, but there just wasn't enough time to do it. We needed to get back here for some things. Um, you know, I went to, it was weird. Um, I haven't told anyone this. I'm just going to, so I'm just going to confess it on the podcast. So um, I was visiting, speaking of Elizabeth Sutton, I was visiting her gorgeous townhouse, which I'm definitely planning to feature in an article um, off of ironically Sutton Place, which is, I would say it is the neighborhood I grew up in or adjacent to the neighborhood I grew up in. Technically, I grew up on the Upper East Side. I grew up on 63rd between York and 1st, um, which is not a particularly great block, um, but it is like the end beginning of Upper East Side. Uh, slash Sutton Place. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of hospitals there, Rockefeller University. Um, it's kind of, but it's near Blooming. It's like a 10 minute walk to Bloomingdale's. But anyway, so I drove past my building. Um, couldn't see the main entrance, but I could see the other, the basically the building I grew up in was actually two buildings with a courtyard in between. Um, so I guess it's the sister building. We drove past the sister. I really don't want to cry. Uh, we drove past the sister building and it just felt so weird to like 
drive through oh god I don't want to cry um to drive through my neighborhood but it's like not my neighborhood anymore um and I'm in an uber and I'm just like I was like tearing up and I'm like I I don't want to tear up I'm meeting my friend and someone who like I work with and you know um it was just so weird but I feel really lucky to have grown up the way that I grew up in the place that I did. I think it's so cool. Um, my husband and I do plan to stay. Everyone asks us if we're moving to the Hamptons. And the answer is not anytime soon. But I wouldn't rule it out at some point in our lives. Maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15 years. I think this might be a place where we want to live. But we also really love it's hard, you know, I love New York. My husband doesn't anymore. Um, and I love the Hamptons. But also, like, you know, it's weird. There's nothing that feels like home-home to me anymore at all. Um, because my parents don't live in the city. They sold the apartment that I grew up in. Um, and so I feel at home there but I feel a little bit like a tourist I don't know it's hard to explain and as much as I love LA it doesn't have that same feeling oh god now I'm getting nasal um it doesn't have the same feeling that New York City that the same sense of home that New York City always had to me it's a different sense of home but it's not the same thing and I I can't articulate it very well and I can't put my finger on it And I think part of it is that, like, I did not mean for this to become me crying and a sentimental episode. But, like, screw it. I'm going to keep this in the intro. Sorry I sniffed. I know that's terrible for the sound. Um, You know, I think that we change. And as we, you know, my friend Allie Levine, who has this really cool podcast called Awakening with Allie Levine. And it's all about spirituality. And... I think that the pandemic, at least for me, and I think for so many other people, has given us an awakening of some sort, like a metamorphosis, like we've changed. And we definitely, no matter what you believe, okay, I really think in my heart, most of us see the world differently after going through this collective trauma. I know I'm such a downer. Um, I think we all see the world a little bit differently. And I guess that I've changed, the city's changed. Um, and it's just hard. But on a positive note, I did go back to Bloomingdale's, which is I feel like some people go to church and I go to Bloomingdale's. I feel like it's weird. Bloomingdale's is the only thing, only thing that like is left over from my childhood that's the same. Now, mind you, they've renovated that store. They carry different lines. It's not exactly the same, but it's a spot where I can like disappear and think. And like walk around. Even if I don't buy anything. I didn't buy anything. I actually almost bought. I almost bought a pair of really cute Kurt Geiger um, sneakers. But I didn't do it because I don't know. I've gotten quite. I've shopped quite a bit in the Hamptons. And um, 
I don't think we packed much. We usually take two suitcases. We took one suitcase each this year. So I don't have that much room to bring back stuff. And as I say, my luggage gets weight shamed at the airport. So I'm trying not to buy anything too heavy, but they were cute and I may, I may buy them um, at some point. But the point is like I went to Bloomingdale's and I walked around and I tried a lot of things on. If they could carry more, if you work at Bloomingdale's and you're listening to this, more aqua mediums, please. Aqua's like their house line and they have really cute stuff. Um, but like nothing quite fit, right? Um, but that, that's a different story. My body's changed so much since like IVF and, um, you know, my miscarriage that it's so weird, but that, that's another podcast that that's another story altogether. Um, but anyway, I spent like over two hours in Bloomingdale's and it just felt like I, I didn't even have my AirPods in. It was like, I just had a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings and I felt like, I don't know. It just had the same. I don't want to say like God talks to me in Bloomingdale's because that sounds bonkers. But I feel a clarity of thought and comfort in that place. Also, I wish they carried Skims. On a random note, Skims is really everyone. I like I feel weird saying this. The most comfortable underwear I've tried in years is Skims. Um, and they're kind of pricey, but I feel like they're worth it. Um, and I was hoping they would have some. I probably should have gone to Nordstrom's, but New York City never didn't have a Nordstrom's until recently. And I don't know. I just didn't have time to go in there. But I don't know. It was just nice to get to have Bloomingdale's. Um, I'd also like to go to Soho, but I also feel like it's become quite touristy. And there's a lot of like, like, I feel like when they opened the Old Navy in Soho, I don't know if it's still there. But when they opened up the Old Navy, like things just changed. Like, like that was like a sign of the times that New York City was going to have all of these like chain stores instead of like cool independent stores um but nothing against nothing against old navy i'm just i'm just saying that so it was just it was interesting i'm back it's it's so weird it's totally gray out right now and it's drizzling which isn't something that i usually feel in la when it rains in la um i love it but when it rains on the east coast i'm like could you be sunny again Anyway, we're here probably for like another month or so. I wish we had more time. I really wish we did. But we have to get back to LA. And um, yeah, it's just been wonderful being here. So I'm going to cut here. Interview with Rain Hirsch. Super interesting. Good tips for buying antiques. Good episode to listen to if you want to be a host. Um or you're just interested in the entertainment industry. What I find really interesting is that she actually lives in Texas. And I think that, you know, it's so funny. Like, I watch all of these YouTubers. I'm very, very into YouTube these days. Partially because I just think that, like, I was listening to a pod... I was listening to Tim Dillon, which is a great podcast. I've seen him live. Love Tim Dillon. And he was talking to someone about how, like, YouTube is the new TV. And I definitely think it is. Um, Because it curates it for you. Like, people say TikTok will replace YouTube, but it won't because no one knows the algorithm better than Google. And when they suggest things for you, they're really good. Sometimes they're kind of off. 
I'm always like sort of offended though when like they don't post things that I'm into and then I have to like search for it. I'm like, I shouldn't have to search for that. That should just be on my suggestions um, without a crystal ball. But um, which I should not admit I listen to, but I, I do watch her videos. Guilty, guilty pleasure of, of mine. Um, but I will say like all of these people who do YouTubes, not all of them, but so many of them are in other are in other locations, which is very interesting to me because I I don't it's it's hard. LA is hard. I love it to a certain extent because I think there is just so much. There's so much to do. There's so much there. The weather's great. I love my friends. Um, I love my life there to a certain extent, but I will say it is so expensive. And really, on and I'm not just talking about inflation. It is unnecessarily expensive, um, because gas is taxed like three dollars more a gallon. I'm not making this up. You can Google it. We have like a three dollar a gallon gas tax, and my car is paid off. So is my husband. So I am not buying an electric vehicle or a hybrid anytime soon. Um, I'm also not comfortable personally with those cars. Because I feel like if you're on, I'm not like the most responsible person when it comes to getting gas. And I just feel like, oh my gosh, what if I need a charge? What if I need to, you know, what if it runs out? I don't know. Like, I feel like that's not perfected yet. Might get a hybrid at some point, but I like, I like my little, my tiny little convertible that I can park anywhere. So, okay, I I am rambling. But the point is this, I think like you can live anywhere at this point and create content so I don't know I don't know what the future holds but for right now we're in L I'm very interested in the idea of Charleston I think that's some place that I want to visit in the next few years I think I'd like a smaller city in the south yeah probably gets it's funny I'm like I love New York but I'd like a I don't know. I guess I could adapt to living just about anywhere. The only place I didn't like living was when I went to college in the middle of central Pennsylvania. There was just like nothing to do. It was terribly unsophisticated. It was between like I went to Bucknell. It's like between a prison and a Walmart. And I'm not shitting on Bucknell. It's a gorgeous campus. But um, it's just like I don't understand why anyone would want to live there it's so cold. There was like two, there was like two decent restaurants and I don't know how it's changed. I actually have never gone to a reunion because one, isn't that what Facebook is for? And two, like I don't live in that area. I wouldn't spend my time going to that area. Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. So those are my thoughts. I've been rambling for 20 minutes. Here is Rain Hirsch. Please enjoy. Oh, and if you're new here, please fo- please subscribe, rate five stars only, and review. You can follow me on Instagram at it's Amanda Lauren. It's is in the handle and at Amanda Lauren on Twitter. Uh, DM me with ideas if you want to be a guest on the show. If you are in the design industry, um, or I'd love to get some design YouTubers on. I really want to ask them on the show. I will probably have more guests when I get back to LA. I've just sort of been enjoying this summer and having more time for for myself, um, etc. Okay, okay, here she is. I'm done. Thank you for listening.
I, I love listening to other people's um, discussions about beauty and fashion and interiors and all of the things because it just, I think it varies so greatly from wherever you're located, like what is trending, what, you know, what, what would never go over here versus what some things here would never go somewhere else. You know, it's just, it's always really interesting to me. I mean, like I'm going to um, our Basel, of course, and it, to me, it's always very eye-opening because you have so many uh, artists and dealers like gallerists from all over the world. And there's so many things that I see there that I think, oh my God, this is just so over the top. This would never sell in my gallery. And you see red stickers everywhere, you know, and it's just, it's just, I don't know. Anyways. No, that's so good. I'm actually going to, I'll do a separate intro and I'm going to start the podcast. I'm going to start the podcast there because I think you bring up a really good point, which is like trends really vary by region. I mean, there's a reason why there's like a Southern living magazine. Um, And it's very different than, you know, what you'll see in like, you know, like Los Angelino or, you know, any of these, you know, local sort of LA magazines. I used to go to Christie's and Sotheby's and I mean, I still do, but I used to, um, I would go there and I would buy art, for example, that I would turn around and consign to Butterfield's Bottom in California because, and you would think that if I'm buying something from, you know, two of the you know, the big New York powerhouses, I would not be able to turn around and resell them for a profit. But because they were California artists or small kind of regional art that maybe didn't have the kind of strong following, like they didn't have big buyers for because you don't anticipate finding those kinds of things there. I did that all the time. I would buy from one auction and consign it to another and make money again and again. I just, you just have to know your markets. Totally. It's it's also true. It's very true with fashion as well. Like mm-hmm. I dress very differently in, I mean, now I've sort of, now I think like my style has changed a bit just because I am, mm-hmm. I just basically live in active wear like, since the pandemic. <laughs> like, I mean, and when I wear jeans, my look is 12 year old boy at summer camp. Like I'm really, <laughs> It's true, but when I like go out, no, I I can clean up. I can clean up, and I just joined this social club. I actually just posted an article about it on today on Forbes called High Mat, and it's this seventy thousand square foot. um, It is a gym social club co working hybrid with a spa and a pool and it's I don't want to say I can say it on a podcast I could never they'd kill me for printing this it's Soho House meets Equinox but about a million times nicer and um I'm like oh god I gotta dress up for that like yeah I've got to get out the good leggings I got to get out the aloe (laughs) I've had girlfriends of mine tell me like they were like when you go when you go work out do you wear like full face of makeup are you wearing like what do you what do you wear and I'm like oh my god no you know and they're like oh well there's certain places that you have to and I'm like those are not the places for me <laughs> I'm like I gotta get my sweat on I go to work out I go <laughs> I go to like get in shape I'm not there to pick up a man but I, I feel what you're saying completely 
Well, no, it's just, it's like, I feel like I have to look nice for, for yeah. me when I go to those places. Although I will tell you, it is not as, like, the girls by the pool wear really nice bathing suits. And, like, yeah. they look really nice. Like, the pool is, like, where the fashion is. And the restaurant, because mm-hmm. there's also a restaurant, is where the fashion mm-hmm. is. But, like, you know, it's very typical for L.A. Um, what girls wear to class there. And it just opens, so it could totally change by the time I'm back in a few weeks. But, like, not a ton of makeup. Which I I don't like working out and wearing makeup because it's just something else I have to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not only that, but here's the I mean here's the truth. Like, I, I'm like I don't want to scare small children, so I don't often go out without makeup on. But <laughs> you know that when you start to sweat, makeup does not look the same. I mean, and and I mean I don't want anybody to think my face is melting right <laughs> right off because I mean like that's just the for me, that's a disaster looking for a, looking for an opportunity to happen. And maybe it's because I don't know the right makeup to wear when I go work out. Maybe there's, I mean, I I look great only because it's at the hand of somebody else. You know, somebody has done my hair and my makeup for television for years. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like the girl that's like, don't give her a box of crayons because I'm like a five-year-old. I can't do my own hair and makeup. And I, sometimes I look at pictures of myself and I'm like, who's that? Oh, wait, that's me. Oh, that's because Wendy or Corey or, you know, somebody did all of my stuff for me. And I, I know that there's, <clears throat> there is, I mean, that's an art all in itself. And oh, when totally. I was younger, my mom, I wanted to go to cosmetology school. And my mom was like, she forbid me to. She was like, you'll have to rely on a man. This is Houston. Like, who the hell's makeup are you going to be in the hair that you're going to be doing that's going to be, you know. And and I was so pissed off I went and got a mohawk. But I was like, <laughs> so she made me like go to computer programming school instead, which was fine. I, I in, the, in the long run, I see like, you know, but I can tell you this, I probably would have been kicked out of class because I completely suck at all of those things. To think that anybody would ever pay me to do their hair and their makeup is just laughable. <laughs> that's no no, it's so funny that you say that though I'll tell you though not always so I had my hair and makeup done Oscar weekend to host a red carpet and this and first of all the company that booked me to do their red carpet they turned out to be assholes and I Uh booked it like I won't even say who they are but it's on my Instagram and I'd never work with these people again Mm -hmm. um but anyway, the anyway, um, they really like confirmed me at the last minute, and I didn't want to book hair and makeup until I knew this was happening a hundred percent, which was a mistake. So I booked it at a place that's in Hollywood. That's like uh, they should have done a good job. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way I looked at all. Like I yeah. think, like they just gave me these huge eyebrows, and then they were running late. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be late. And I hated the way I, although by the end of the night it had faded and I looked fine. Uh I don't, and I have some good, like there's a few good like Getty images of me from that night, but like I hate my makeup that night. It's just, it's so bad, but I'm not, I'm okay at doing it. Honestly, that night I would have rather have done it myself. In retrospect, I should have just done my own makeup. Should have trusted yourself. got in my hair done because I would have done a better job. But it's funny, like, 
I don't think anyone, I don't know. It's weird. I do. I, I'm sort of into this no makeup look where I wear a little bit of this Aaliyah foundation, which has sunscreen in it. It is the mm-hmm. worst on camera makeup because it is so thin. <laughs> like, Oh, really? It's yeah. I use like Yensa on camera because it's really thick. Um, mm-hmm. but I use this. It's really good for everyday. Really good for working out in. But like, or like you know, if you're at a party and you take a selfie, but like you really can't go on camera on camera with it. It's just not coverage enough, or at least for me, it doesn't have enough coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do brows and I do mascara and like a little bit of lipstick. And then sometimes like a cream blush. I mean, this sounds like a lot of work, but I swear it takes like five minutes. A little bit of cream blush and then mm-hmm. um, sunscreen powder over it because I'm obsessed with sunscreen. Well, <clears throat> clearly I am as well. But you do the exact same thing that I do, except I don't do the powder. Um, I, I my, my eyebrows are blonde, almost white. So... I look like an albino if they're not penciled in. <laughs> and no, it's true. My fourth grade teacher told me I didn't have any. And I was like, yes, I do. I started to cry. I'm like, I have eyebrows. And I made her put her finger on my face. She's like, oh my God, you do. <laughs> like, That's so traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I know she didn't mean anything ugly by it, but it stuck with me forever. And, um, and my eyelashes are white also. So I have fake lashes. Um, so that I don't have to do that every single day because I'm lazy. But I wear La Mer and then I put foundation on top of it, concealer, because I look like I haven't slept in three months and <laughs> um, and some cream blush and, and, a, and a lip lip gloss and I'm out the door. I mean, that's, that's, that's as good as it gets, sister. <laughs> and I can tell you, I know about bad makeup and I would never say this anywhere, but when I when I did Antiques Roadshow, they had a makeup artist, and the makeup artist was so used to doing older people, and I was the you know I was the baby of the group. She wanted to do makeup and hair on me like somebody twice my age, and it used to mortify me. And as soon as I was done getting my makeup done, I'd go into the bathroom and wash half that shit off. <laughs> Um, I don't blame you. Listen, you're lucky you had hair and makeup because on most reality shows, they don't have hair. Every time I interview someone, they're like, we don't have hair and makeup. I have to do it myself or pay for it myself. And here's something else that I've noticed too. And I feel like the whole world like has sort of crapped on this person, but I am going to call her out. Uh I was watching, like, if I was watching the Today, I think it was Today or Good Morning America, and they were Uh interviewing, I'm going to mess up her name, Hayden Panettiere, Panettiere. Oh, yeah, yeah, her. Uh She just threw her hair in, like, a top knot for this Uh interview. And she she had a photo shoot with people where it's such a serious, like, addiction is such a serious topic and it's like model it's like her doing glamour shots and then talking about this like it was the weirdest editing it was the wrong yeah it was the weirdest thing and then she's doing you know gma today show Mm -hmm. literally just looks like she threw i'm like i could have done a better job with my hair on the top knot she looks like she did her hair in like two seconds like i don't know she either doesn't know the audience or she just doesn't give a fuck you know, and she's like, she's indifferent about the interview. I mean, so it's like, that's the only thing that would explain that. 
it was so bizarre and I'm just like I've I've done those shows and I had like and they give you I mean obviously she's famous so they probably didn't give her last minute notice she probably got paid. no but I'm like oh, yeah how do you not have like a hair and makeup it's sort of like when I watch these watch reality shows I'm like I'm like you have a hundred fifty dollars to pay for hair and makeup to come right Right. I know you do. You just did an ad for flat tummy tea on your Instagram yeah. where you made yeah. thousands and upon thousands right. of dollars. Yeah. Spend 150. When, when Lara Spencer came on as our host, <laughs> she re, she refused the makeup girl that we had and brought paid for her own. She had to pay for it out of her own pocket and brought her own and he traveled with us. <laughs> we, I know I was always like, "Please Please, Lara and I look alike. Please, <laughs> please do my makeup for me. Please don't let this old bitch do my makeup. So she was funny. the nicest lady. She was the nicest lady, but she was like a hundred years old. Not, no lie. She was so old. She worked for WGBN and in, uh, in Boston, and um, and she, yeah, she was like that's all she knew how to do. Were the, all the older guys and, and ladies that worked on the show, and every time she came at me, I was just cringing, just. Anyways. that's so funny no, nothing that, worse than paying uh, for bad makeup oh yeah oh absolutely i just like honestly i've almost thought and i have like i was gonna say now people will google it. i have some terrible getty images but like uh, one day i'm gonna have to have those removed <laughs> yeah for sure i know i it's funny i like I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't like looking at pictures of myself. I don't like looking at TV, like, because I, I, all I do is sit there and like focus on all the things that I didn't like about the way I looked that day, you know, or um, oh, yeah. this, no, same. this color same. lipstick looks, and I'm not a vain person at all, but if you're going to put a picture of me in a magazine or if I'm going to be on television I best damn well be a good representative. <laughs> I best damn well like what I see. And, you know, and I'll look and I'll be like, why did she choose that lipstick? That lipstick is way too harsh for what I'm wearing and for my skin tone. And why, you know, <laughs> what what was with this color of shadow they used on me? It looks like my eyes are sunk three inches in the back of my head. Like what, what, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you have one job. One job. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> no, you're so funny. No, I'm extremely vain and I feel the same. I feel the same way. Like the only photos, I wish I could find out who that makeup artist I used was because this was years ago. There's, she's mm -hmm. now sort of this well known product photographer. Like she mm -hmm. does a lot of beauty product shoots. Her name is Haley Fisk. And I should yeah. really try to see. I'm sure now she's like a fortune. I don't remember. I, someone else was paying for this photo shoot. But like mm -hmm. I looked so she took the best photos of me and like mm -hmm. no one else has taken such good photos since and those are the only photos of myself that that I really really like other than yeah. like a few my mother-in-law has randomly taken of me like in the backyard here I haven't seen any bad pictures of you and I would tell I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say oh this is a horrible picture of you but I wouldn't say I haven't seen any bad pictures of you if I had um, if I had like you're you're beautiful. Like you take oh my God. beautiful pictures. You're I don't you're know. So I mean, sweet. you're no. You're it's too very pretty. true. Like I mean, I I mean, you you're just to me. You look naturally pretty in the pictures that I've seen. Oh my God! I mean, you just you look are... like that. You look like a California girl. 
And it's like, because you know, we, from being from, from Texas, you know, it's like Texas and California girls are two of the prettiest girls in the nation, hands down. And, and it's like, I, so I pay attention. I mean, I'm a straight girl, but I pay attention to beautiful women. I'm, you know, working in television. And I, I mean, I was modeling when I was a kid, like I was surrounded by beautiful women all the time. And it was like, I've seen some of the prettiest people in the world. And, and you're a beautiful girl. Like you have nothing to like nothing. Oh my God. You're, yeah. I love you. You're my favorite guest ever. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm you. serious. How did, yeah. no, well, you're gorgeous and you're extremely photogenic. Um, not that I've seen you in person because the first time we're talking, but like you can tell when someone like knows how to look good on, on camera, which, so how did you get into hosting and sort of being a luxury expert? Because I was watching this show, which by the way, I know it's not on anymore. They should bring it back. The Ridiculous Ranches show. I was watching this <laughs> and I'm like, this is so good. I could watch it this was all so day. Fun. Yeah, it was so fun. So, um, so COVID hit and we, you know, everything kind of got pushed to a halt. And then that channel got bought out by another channel. And so that's why that stopped. But I am working on something completely different. Um, and it will be very, very huge. And I'll tell you more about it soon. Um, it won't happen until probably it will, if all goes well, it will air in the spring of next year and it will be the funnest project, um, for television that I've ever worked on. Um, but I, um, the other fun project that I got to work on is, um, I've been friends with, um, are you there? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry. There was a loud noise on this end. Um, I got to work on American Pickers. I've been friends with the guys for a long time. And if you want to talk about people that have fun on the set, it is them. And I, I just had a, a great, great, great time with them. We've been friends for a long time. And I just remember when the show came out, I thought to myself, this is so amazing because being an antiques dealer and the, the word picker is something that a lot of people didn't know, but people in the industry knew. I mean, people really used to go knocking door to door, kind of like they do, you know, asking people if they have anything for sale. Like, here's who I am. Here's what I do. I'm a picker. And, you know, I just kind of look for these things. And if you have any of these things. So it was so great when I saw their show, you know, you know, launch. And I was just like, this is going to be really, really interesting because you just never know what people have and what you might find. And all the years working on Antiques Roadshow, I mean, it was the same thing. It was just amazing, the things that people would bring in that you would just never, you think you've seen it all, especially doing a show like that. You, know, mm -hmm. you think you, you've seen it all, and every city you go to, there's always something you've never seen before. And I used to tell people that the whole stump the appraiser, it was like, here's the stump the appraiser moment. Like, I have no idea what this is. And I can tell you about the time period it's made because of the shape, the form, the color, the, there's some aspect of it that I can tell you it's American, European, whatever. Um, but I can't tell you exactly who made it. I loved moments like that. And I know it's probably frustrating for somebody who's waited in line. God only knows how many hours to get to the table to see me only to have me say, yeah, so I don't know, <laughs> but, um, but it was like exciting because it just made you realize that with all the things and all the years that I've been in this industry, I still have not seen it all. And to me, that's just an exciting moment. It means there's still stuff out there for me to learn and see and, you know, all of that. It's kind of cool. But um, 
so I, um, I had kind of a funny moment. Like I, I moved to New York to be a stockbroker. Oh, wow. From Houston to New York. Yeah. I, I got my stockbroker's license when I was 18 years old. And by the time I was 19, a friend of mine had moved to New York. Uh, he had taken his test at the same time I did, and he went to go intern at Bear Stearns. And I was like, I need to do that. If I'm going to be a stockbroker, I can't be a stockbroker in Texas. Like, you're not a real stockbroker if you live in Texas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, my friends were all like, oh, my God, you're moving to New York City. That's so scary, you know, here in Texas. That's like back in the day. That's what people thought. Like, you don't ride the subway and all these things. Like, bad things happen there. It's all mafia owned. But um, so I moved there. I didn't really know anybody. And and it was just like it was an exciting time of life. By the time I moved there, I was 20 years old. And I I drove my car from Texas to New York um, with my clothes, my music and some pots and pans. And that was it because I was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to find um, an apartment and I make my apartment very New York style. I don't want a Texas style. And I didn't even know what that meant. But I was just like I had these visions of what New York really was all about and the only thing I really knew about New York is what you saw like TV and film oh god which is you know (laughs) (laughs) not quite not quite what it's really like but um anyway so I was working in the city and in between meetings or on my way home in the afternoon I would you know walk you know walk down the streets and I would see like antique stores and stuff and I would go inside and um I didn't know anything about anything I was looking at I just bought whatever I could afford that I liked and little by little I bought more and more things to decorate my home and come to find out later I seemed to have an affinity for Art Nouveau and I liked all things that were iridescent so I I bought a lot of Tiffany glass and Lotz glass and Steuben And um, I wasn't buying great stuff. I was buying kind of beginner stuff, but it was all iridescent and pretty. And I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And before long, I had a lot of things. And some stuff I didn't like as much as other things. Like my, my eye was learning and I was gravitating towards kind of nicer items. <clears throat> and I had mm-hmm. the ability to set up at a show and sell some things and it was, it was the funniest moment i set up at the show in bayside queens and i told the lady i'm like i'm not a dealer i'm a collector but i have three boxes of things that i want to sell and uh, she's like okay and she's like how many tables do you want and i said well i just want one well and she got kind of quiet and she was like okay <clears throat> and i got there that morning the setup it was like 6 7 o'clock in the morning and I see all these other dealers' booths, and they've got big showcases and like ten tables. And here's me. I'm like, I've got the Charlie Brown Christmas tree of displays at this moment. Um, you know, I had one table. I didn't like. I didn't have a tablecloth. I didn't have risers. All I knew is I brought in my stuff and I brought cash because nobody paid the check. And um, very quickly was like stuff on a table, and it looked horrible. And some of these dealers were the nicest people in the world. They kind of saw my little Charlie Brown Christmas tree with no blanket and no ornament, right? And they came over and they introduced themselves. You know, I'm 20, 21 years old at the time. And they helped me with like lighting and racks and the tablecloth. And all of a sudden, my single little table looked amazing. I mean, as amazing as it could get, right? 
Yeah. And by 12 o'clock that day, I had sold everything I had. And that was kind of like my turning point. I was like, oh, wow, I have all this cash and I have nothing left. And now I want to go home and grab more things because I still have five more hours here. And I'm in a, I'm in a room full of beautiful stuff. And now I want to go shopping and buy. Well, I wonder if I could shop for a living, like if I could buy things and sell things and that would pay for the stuff that I want to keep for myself. And that was kind of my mindset. So that's slowly but surely how that happened. And then I got married and I moved to Ohio. And one night I came walking through the living room and my husband was watching television and Antiques Roadshow was on. It was the very first season. And he said, hey, have you ever seen this show? And I sat down and I kind of watched it. And he was like, you could do that. I'm like, yeah, I could. And he was like, you probably could do better. And I'm like, yeah, I probably could. And I just kind of thought about that. And I walked away and I went back into my office. And, and I decided to go look and see if they had a website. And they did. And they had a button that said, email the producer. So I did. And, you know, what did I have to lose? But, you know, I just wrote to them and I'm like, I watched your show tonight and this is who I am. And these are the kinds of things that I deal in. And here are some talking points that I think, you know, some of your appraisers missed on that the audience would appreciate knowing. And they actually wrote me back. They wrote me back two weeks later. Well, here's the truth. The truth is it was season one and they were, you know, doing all that they could for this brand new show to get appraisers to come and work the show. And so they needed extra people. And the great thing was, so they they offered me, for season two, they offered me two cities. And so I went to one. And the very first one I went to, it was me and uh, a girl that ended up becoming one of my best friends from the biggest Tiffany dealer in New York City. And then uh, Christie's and Sotheby's. So it was all these big people and little bitty me. And um, But the thing of it was is that all the big auction houses they only knew the high-end things. Like they didn't know the utilitarian stuff. That is the majority of what walks through the door, but I did. And, and I knew the big stuff too, but I, I knew a lot more than everybody there and not to take away from their knowledge. Like, you know, it's always better to know like a certain category than to know everything to be a generalist. But at the time I, I knew a lot. And um, so I became kind of this, great leg to the group of appraisers that specialized in glass and lighting. And so I got asked back again and again, and and finally, you know, opened up to every city, every season. So that's how that kind of unfolded. That's wild. I've like, I hear stories, you know, we had like Shay Holland from HGTV on the show. Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, I just got cast overnight on HGTV. And I'm like, what? Like, It's a similar, it's, you know, a similar story. And it gives me hope because I really just, I want to host on HGTV. That's really, I want my own show. And by the way, by HGTV, I mean, like, it could be Netflix, any, any of those I'd I'd gladly take. But because everyone says I'm more Netflix than HGTV, but like either one, go go ahead. No, I think you're more Netflix too. And, and we can have a conversation about that when we finish. Um. But, you know, the the interesting thing is, is when you are on a show like Antiques Roadshow, I mean, we had 18 million people that watched that show at its height. And I I think they're in season 27 or 28 now. I could be wrong. Um, But 
when you're on a show like that, a lot of opportunities come knocking, which is, you know, you're so thankful for. I mean, I, I ended up, I've written five books because of it. I, you know, had the opportunity to be on CBS, the early show with my own segment every month. I got asked to do a show on CNBC. The people at NBC here in Houston had reached out to me asking if I would like my own weekly segment on NBC here, which I did. And I mean, you know, ride TV, like all of these things come from when you're, when you're on something like that. So, you know, for example, all these people on HGTV, if you have good people that surround you or you understand this business, there's a lot of things like there's merchandising opportunities. And this is, these were things that were happening for me before social media really kind of had the pull that it does on doing, you know, like brand partnerships. I mean, if I, if I would have been uh, stronger on um, social media at the time, I probably would have, and, and, and brands were looking at social media as a serious avenue to promote products for their brand. Things would have been even bigger for me then. And I mean, you know, I still to this day get, you know, a lot of opportunities to do a lot of things just because of all the different shows that I've been on all these times. And, you know, it's great and it's a lot of fun, but I can tell you it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, you, you, after you've done, you know, after the kind of the newness of doing television shows wears off and you realize it's really a job and, the opportunities are great and everything, but you begin to get selective at the end. Like I've had ABC, NBC, CBS, like all of them come to me with all great show ideas. I've only flown out for one. And, and, and I turned down the rest of them only because I just knew these, these shows would never succeed. And I, I just don't see the point of being, having my name attached to a show that's failed. I just don't think that's, you know, a good thing. Like if I want to continue to do bigger things, I need to not have my name be like, oh, well, is she the reason why the show failed? So I've slowed up doing a lot of things. And if I don't have the ability to have some kind of kind of direction or, you know, um, opportunity to kind of have my own input, I don't want to be just a figurehead on a show, a host of a show or whatever. I want it, I want it to be something that I'm really a part of um, because I feel like, for anybody watching, especially if it's a collecting related show of any sort, I'm going to understand who my market is a lot better than the production team will because they're not in that industry. No, no, I totally, I totally agree with you, with you there. And also like, you don't want to get a bad edit. And I feel like no. I'll watch a lot of reality shows where like, there are people that are really interesting and like I'll give you a really good example of someone who was on this show last summer um mm -hmm. and it is a show that that just got canceled but the hills Ashley and it's a totally different kind of show but like on the show they made her look like the whiniest most mm -hmm. awful not the most awful yeah. person but they made her seem really really whiny and like she's not like that. Like I interviewed her. I actually then like ran into her at a party, um, over the spring and they, her and her husband moved to Tennessee, but I'm like, I would totally be friends with this girl. And she seems like, like she is not the kind of like the person who she was portrayed to be on TV, but you know, she wasn't a producer of the show. So she doesn't have a final say in the edits. Right. And, and you also have to, I mean, I get why producers do the types of things that they do is because 
that's what that's what gets people tuning in every week. They like to see the crazy. They want to see the train wreck. They want to see the you know the girl that's you know just absolutely nuts. Um, mm-hmm. Because if everybody seemed normal and just kind of you know status quo, like people wouldn't watch. And that's just us as a society. I mean, you ask yourself, you know, why is like Star Magazine or like National Enquirer or any of those like how do they continue to put out these crazy stories? that you know the majority of the time are not true. Like, how are they still in business? Well, because people stand in line at the grocery store and they buy that magazine again and again and again. You know, truthful or not, they don't care, but that's what sells. Well, I think there's always, like, a little bit of truth to most of these stories. Yeah, (laughs) there is that. You know, it's like, for every, anytime somebody says something that seems harsh and they say, just kidding, well, they are just kidding, but there is some level of truth to what they were saying. They believe, you know, they believe it to be truthful for whatever kind of harsh thing they said. But yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they didn't take somebody that, you know, is, uh, you know, Sister Sue from next door and, you know, and make her, you know, the town hooker, you know, just because like there's some level, there's some level of Sue that told them that, yeah, this is going to play out all right. Oh, no, for for sure. And I, you know, my friend Allie, you know Allie Levine, right? Yeah, yeah. So Allie was on a Bravo show called Stripped. And she was on one episode. It was actually, I'll say it. She probably won't be mad at me for saying this. The show was, they were sold on it as a whole season. And then Mm -hmm. something changed hands at Bravo. And they gave Mm -hmm. each, you know, each person, each, you know, family, each household, one episode which kind of really I feel like was not you know I mean listen they can do whatever they want but it definitely she would have had more than you know 40 minutes on screen and like some of what they put there was true but I'm like I know this girl she's one of my closest friends and I can I can see what's fake and I can see what they edited for effect and you know, like they always made it like she was on her phone and she was on her phone, but like definitely not as much as she, <laughs> as she seemed to be in this edit. And they turned the sound on so you could like hear the typing like they, I guess, obviously. Oh, they didn't no. I'm like, Callie <laughs> never has the sound on on her phone. Like my husband has that when he texts and I literally want to grab the phone out of like his hand and throw it in the pool. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, husband. they. They they definitely if they if they there was something that make to, to make them decide that that's how they wanted to showcase her character but yeah I mean there's all kinds of things just as simple as you know turning the sound on um, for it to seem like so over the top when it's really not oh. a lot of people don't understand that I mean the majority of the people that watch TV don't they don't understand that there's absolutely well next to nothing real about reality TV so. <laughs> Oh, I, for sure. I watch really lowbrow reality TV, though. Like, that's what yeah. really surprises. Like, not that. Like, I watch Teen Mom. Like, that's, that's where I go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really bad. Um, no, and I'll watch The Housewives, too. But, like, I'll watch, like, Teen Mom and, like, Intervention. Like, I'm a little bit dark. Oh, Intervention is my weakness. My oh, weakness. my God. It's so good. And I, I hate, I feel so dirty whenever I have to like shower afterwards, whenever I watch it, because it's like, it's so dark, but like, 
you know, it's, I don't know, it's something like interesting. There's always like a twist, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's like, what is interesting to me about intervention is that occasionally those people do die and they actually state it. And it's like, this is, this is, this is the reality of this reality show. It's like, this person did die. This person did not make it through treatment. This person's family did have to walk away from them and not continue to save them anymore. And this person died. And that's the reality. And the, the other one that's very similar to that is hoarders. And I can't watch the, hoarders. It's, I, it it's difficult nauseous. because it's very real. That is very real. And I've, I've had clients that are hoarders over the years, um, antique collectors, art collectors. And it's a different kind of hoarding. We say that that's controlled hoarding. I mean, because you have, you know, like I had a, I had a client who had, um, she was a glass collector and her family was very affluent. And when she was uh, 13 or 14 years old, the parents made all the kids when they turned that age, determine what business they were going to be in when they grew up. And she had decided that she wanted to uh, be a museum owner. She wanted to own her own museum. And so the family would call uh, Corning, like Steuben Corning in in upstate New York, and they would close it down in the evenings for her to go in and just buy whatever she wanted. And so fast forward to when I met her, she was in her early to mid 80s, and she had over 9,000 pieces of glass in her home and in two climate controlled storage facilities. And there was so much glass in her home, it like lined the steps going upstairs. There were rooms in her house upstairs that she hadn't been into in years. There were pieces of glass that were in the drawers, in the bedroom, on tops of the beds, in the fireplace. And she didn't allow people to come over to her house because that collection controlled her. And, you know, she had all this money and she had wanted me to find a museum to to buy her collection. And um I had a museum. I had a museum that ended up with an investor that we flew to your house twice, making very, very large offers to buy her collection and to put her name on the wing. And in the end, um, she she passed on it. And, and I think it was just too difficult for her to actually sell these things. And then a few years, like her kids didn't want any of the stuff. They, they each had like a one or two pieces that they decided that they would keep when she passed away. Well, she did pass away and I saw her collection. Her kids did not call me. Her collection went up at auction and I saw they put all of it up at one time, which is the biggest mistake you could ever make. And it sold for pennies on the dollar. She, her collection could have lived on together at that museum, her name, like her family name being on the wing for, for forever. You know, with this collection, her family, her kids could have had something to be proud of. But no, this is the way it turned out. That's wild. I under, that's completely wild. It, that is yeah. a very hoarder story. But I, I kind of relate because I feel like I have slight hoarder tendencies. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a Lily Pulitzer skirt from eighth grade I'm still hanging on to because I can't get rid of it. Um, but like I have, you I mean, we're in a one bedroom. Sorry, what? I said, do you know why you can't get rid of it? Oh, I just really love it. And if I have a daughter, I think she might like to wear it. They say, this is my therapist hat on. Um, they say that the reason why people hoard 
or hang on to things <clears throat> that really don't, uh, they don't use, they don't need, they don't whatever to this day is because at some point in time you are made to feel unsafe in, in your life. Oh, and definitely. so as you get, as you get older, you hold on to things that one remind you of a happier time and place that so that you can, you know, gravitate to those things when you're feeling maybe uncomfortable. And two, it's the only thing that you feel like you can't control in your life when other things in your life are out of control. So that's why hoarders, like, they hold on to all these things. If they lost, maybe they lost somebody in their life, maybe their house caught on fire, They maybe they lost their job and lost all their things at one point. I mean, these are just different examples. But when they get to a different place in their life, then they start holding on to everything and they won't get rid of it because they're so afraid of going back to what they experienced at some some point in their life. Oh, totally. I've also thought about using the fabric and having it. It's this really cute. They never like remade this pattern or anything similar. It's like mm -hmm. palm trees with like little yellow coconuts. I thought of oh. having it having it made into a pillow. Oh yeah. I would. I mean, unless you have a daughter and I mean, but I guess you got to ask yourself like you know, the things that you and I find cool today, you know our kids are like, nah. Oh, you know, I'm sure. And, it might, and they might they might secretly find it cool, but because mom does, it can't possibly be cool. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, I have some of my mom's stuff, like, yeah. that I think is super cool. Like, I have some of, like, I have an old dress of hers that was, like, that she got at Bergdorf Goodman probably in, like, the 80s or the 70s. And, like, yeah. I can't get rid of, it's it's such a cool dress. I've worn it a few times. Can't get rid yeah. of it. You're a cool kid then. <laughs> I I mean, I used to wear it like as a Halloween costume when I was <laughs> in high school. You're going to take that back. You're not a cool kid. <laughs> no, it's fine. I guess not. <laughs> I'm wearing mom's clothes as a Halloween costume. <laughs> no, I oh wore it like as a Halloween costume in high school. And then I've worn it like to a few events. It's like black strapless. It's just a really cool dress. And I don't really make yeah. anything like it anymore. But no, yeah. I definitely, here's the thing. I actually think I probably, so I'm in a, we're in a one bedroom. We're moving to a mm -hmm. two bedroom. And the truth is I do have clothing I store in the Hamptons, which is, uh -huh. which is bad. But, you know, I feel like, well, if I'm ever here in the winter, I'm going to want a few sweaters and a winter coat. So I just leave them here. But oh. um, I'm in a one bedroom and I feel like, this is not, this seems like a lot for a one bedroom, but if I had a house, I feel like this is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you, you know, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I can justify all kinds of things. I'm sitting here giggling at you wearing, you know, your mom stuff for Halloween and then out to an event. It's kind of funny, but I, I think about the things that hang in my closet. You know, they say like, if you haven't worn it for a year, you're supposed to get rid of it says who <laughs> okay so my I keep wait, all kinds of shit <laughs> my objection to that is like I have things I didn't wear for a year during COVID that like okay well that's different but you know like I don't know about you but I can I can go in and like I can find like t-shirts that I've had for forever and I don't know like I'm always like yeah but this would be perfect with these like 
raggedy jeans and some flip flops. And, you know, if I want to go to Austin and be a hippie for the weekend, this is the thing to wear. I mean, you know, there's, I don't know, you can always justify, I mean, there's jewelry that I've had for years and years and years. And I don't mean fine jewelry, I mean, because the diamonds and gold, yeah, great. But I'm just talking about like stacking bracelets and, and, you know, wrist wraps and, you know, layered necklaces and stuff. I'm like, I will always wear this at some point in time. And the funny thing is, is anytime I do get rid of something and I give stuff away all the time because I have a lot and the second I give it away, I'm, I might not have wore it for two years. And the second I give it away, a, no doubt a week later, there'll be something that comes up and I'm like, I need that. Oh man. <laughs> it's, it inevitably happens you. every time, every time. Like, dang it. Where did that? Oh yeah. I gave that away two weeks ago. <laughs> So wait, so let me ask. So you did Antiques Roadshow. How long did you do Antiques Roadshow for? 13 seasons. That's a lot. So then when did you go from that to to Ridiculous Ranch? I can barely say it. It's It does not roll off the tongue. Ridiculous. Ri- now on Ridiculous Ranch, like you really have yep. to like enunciate. Ridiculous, ridiculous Ranch is on Ride TV. Go three R's. Ridiculous oh, Ranch is on Ride TV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we started doing Ridiculous Ranches, I think, in, let's see, COVID has messed everything up, 2017, mm-hmm. is that right? Oh, I think wow. That's right, 2017. We started taping then, yeah. And so that was a whole lot of fun. I did CNBC's Treasure Detectives um, in between that and then a year of the art of collecting here in Houston on NBC. And CBS, the early show, uh, for 2009, 2010. I don't know. Time goes by. Um, so yeah, I mean, Ridiculous Ranches. I had worked on another show, a pilot for a show with a producer out of Dallas and Ride TV was based in Dallas. And he called me one day and he was like, Hey, we haven't worked together in a bit, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting together this show for ride TV and it's, you know, it's about kind of over the top property. And I couldn't help but think that you would be the perfect person. Like everybody knows you for luxury goods and cars. And I mean, I've written books on watches and I sell a lot of like exotic and rare cars and diamonds and things like that. Oh, so we're like, fun. yeah, it's a blast. Um, you know, it's, it's like every day is something different. And it's like many of the things that I sell, I could never keep, I couldn't afford myself, but I just like being the, like the caregiver for it for just a little while, like to say that I had it for a bit. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he called me and he was like, you know, do you, do you think this would be of interest to you? And I said, this is the funniest thing because I have always thought the lifestyles of the rich and famous needed to be brought back. Not in the Robin Leach sense, but, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but for the longest time, that was the longest-running syndicated show in more countries than any other show ever. And and I thought it just needed to be, like, 21st century up. Like, not so snotty. I mean, more like MTV Cribs was. And MTV Cribs did really, really well. And, I mean, they, they did a lot of brand partnerships. And, I mean, it was an extremely successful show. Again, kind of leaning towards that lifestyle of the rich and famous. I was like absolutely I would do that and I and I got to have a lot of input on the show so that was kind of the reason why I said yes to that which was 
a little bit different. And we started out taping in Texas and I got to work with um, uh, Jean-Paul DeGiorio and went to his house and he was so nice and his, his property was amazing. And all the properties that I would tour all had to be actually on the market for sale. So that was kind of the, the thing. Uh, I didn't have to talk with the owner. I could talk with the realtor that, you know, mm -hmm. that was showing the property, but um, they just had to be for sale. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, um, John Paul's house had, I think it was 33 different types of nearly extinct animals from Asia and Africa on his property. So That's wild. wild kingdom. I got, I, they put me on a golf cart and took me all around the property. It was 90 something acres. And these, these animals roamed, they just roamed. And so here you are driving by these animals that are like, you know, 20 feet away from you, you looking at them, they looking at you. I'm like, are they going to charge us? The guy's like, no, but you probably shouldn't get out there. They're used to seeing people, but you probably shouldn't get out of the golf cart. I'm like, okay, but it was cool as could be. And he had this a thousand square foot underground bunker for when the zombie apocalypse like hits and <laughs> and it was filled with like Andy Warhol and mid-century modern furniture I was like <laughs> he's like yeah my son and I decided you know we wanted to we like to like build forts and stuff like that and so I just decided this was a project we were going to do together I'm like well this takes building forts to a whole nother level I mean this is unbelievable but yeah it was like it was one of the coolest properties. I and mean, I went and saw a lot of properties and saw a lot of cool things and super thankful for, you know, all the different brands that worked with us on the show. It was a lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. And, you know, thank you, COVID. It's, <laughs> so. and what? Sorry, cut the phone cut out. <laughs> I was saying thank you, COVID. <laughs> I know. No, listen, I had a show on EverTalk and I was getting all of these big people and then, they lost their funding. So I, I completely relate to it. Um, right. And obviously what you were doing was on a much, 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 much larger scale. But no, it's so funny because there's a clip of that episode on YouTube and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. You know what the one thing I noticed from the few clips there were on YouTube? And I'm going to sound like a, a critical bitch here. Mm -hmm. No one seemed to have a really new kitchen. Now, it could have just been those three clips, but everyone's, and I've noticed this too, because I also write for Forbes Global Properties, that unless huh? something is renovated by, unless someone like, unless like a developer or a, or someone who professionally flips is doing something, if a rich person is selling their old property, is selling a property because they want to move, the kitchen is always dated. It's so bizarre. It is true. Um, Jean-Paul's kitchen, he had two, as a matter of fact. They were all updated. I mean, they were very, very, I mean, they were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, but some of the other ones, I agree. And I think, I think the reason why for the properties that I was at is, one, um, these were people's second homes, so not their primary. Um, and two, because they were ranch properties, I think they were maybe like one of the one of the places that I went to the um the master bedroom was a thousand square feet. Oh my I'm god. Like, this is bigger than some people's apartments in New York. And this is just the one bedroom in the house. Wow. Um and they and they had two bathrooms in the master bedroom, a his and a hers. And I mean like completely separate like separate showers, separate 
you know, sinks. That's that my toilet. Dream. It was so amazing. I've never seen anything quite like that. And I've got clients that have, you know, 15,000, 20,000 square foot homes. I've been in big homes. I know what they're like, but some of these were just, the thing with this show is that it wasn't about the cost of the property. It was about, there had to be some kind of ridiculous aspect to it. And so like for that home in particular, which nobody had lived in it for a while, um, the one with the thousand square foot master bedroom, but that was, that was the ridiculous aspect. And then for John Paul's house, it was that it came with or without all of these animals and that underground bunker. I mean, the rest of the house was just huge and beautiful, but the underground bunker was very over the top. It had like six months worth of food stored in there in case, you know, there was some kind of crazy, you know, apocalypse. And then it had this machine that, was a I've never seen this either. It was a humidifier, and the humidifier took the humidity out of the air, which we in Texas we you know we have a lot of humidity, and it turned it into water, a gallon of water a day that you could drink while you were trapped in your underground bunker. That's genius. <laughs> Whoever invented that must be a ge- it's such a good idea. Yeah, and then there was another property that I went to that was owned by um, potentially a um like a detroit mafia family that i won't (laughs) say the name for uh that had it was a cutting horse property and they got me on this cutting horse i've had horses and have ridden horses all of my life and but i've never been on a cutting horse and that's a whole nother animal in itself but these like how i'm like the one they had me on was the cheapest horse and it was six hundred (laughs) thousand dollars but the barn for the horses that they trained and raised there like they had the waltons like uh uh the waltons are the um walmart people they had theirs they had some of jerry jones's horses there but this barn which had stalls for up to 60 horses was climate controlled you could have ate off the floor it was like i don't know how many millions of dollars it must have cost just to build the barn but it was outrageous I mean, you could have moved in there and been like, okay, this is nicer than the house I live in. Yet uh, my roommates are these horses, these very, very expensive horses. I love horses. So, yeah. So I, I get, even though I don't really, I used to ride a little bit as a kid, but it's sort of, um, it's a very challenging hobby in New York City. So yeah. I didn't, but I'm like, but one of these days I will, I will get back on a horse because I, I love horses. I love like anything like horse like if you can incorporate horses into decor I'm there for it like yeah completely so let me ask you one more question before well two more questions before we go if someone Mm -hmm. likes the idea of collecting antiques where does and they just you know someone who they're like oh I'd like an Eames but they don't you know or I'd like today I actually almost bought it but I didn't um, I almost bought these. It's so weird. These mid-century Pyrex mm-hmm. bowls. My mother-in-law has them and I kind of yes. want my own set. Um, yeah. I have to shop around a little. I found some decent prices, but I want to shop around a little bit more. Also, we literally don't have space for them, but I'm kind of in love with them. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I can always make I can always make space. It's like I have a set of dishes I may give to a friend who just moved to California to just make space for these yeah. for these stupid Pyrex bowls. But where does someone start? Like how do you where should you go? How do you know you're getting something authentic? 
Well, there are a ton of reference books on the market that you can actually buy. So picking the category, for example, there are books out on, on Pyrex. And it will show you a wide variety of patterns and colors that their different lines came in and what pieces. It will tell you what size and kind of the average price that those items sell for on the market. So you can kind of gauge. It's a great book to take with you if you're out kind of antiquing. Mm-hmm. And um, to kind of give you just an idea. And again, um, like we were talking about earlier, location plays a huge role in what stuff like that sells for. So for an example, Pyrex. You in New York, when you're in New York, you see a lot of Pyrex. I mean, like people have that all the time. And so if you go to a garage sale, you're usually going to find uh, some Pyrex or some Fire King. And um, at the, at garage sales for, you know, under a dollar. And But if you come down to Texas, for example, where not as much of that, we're a newer state. We didn't have, you know, big department stores um, that sold those kinds of things down here. Um, you don't find it as much. And um, so when you do see it, it usually comes at a premium. Um, eBay is also another great place to go start looking for things because you can, you know, you can kind of gauge what you're going to have to pay for stuff by looking at sold listings. Mm-hmm. You can see the items like once you've identified the Pyrex bowls, for example, that you want, you can go on to eBay. You can type in Pyrex and whatever pattern it is that you like. And then click sold listings and you can see all the things in the last month that have sold, you know, and what they sold for. So that will kind of give you an idea of like what to what to pay for something. And then you can start there's an array like if a lot of these kinds of things that you like don't become available in your area, you're not seeming to find them when you're out shopping. Um, There are online antique malls like Trocadero and Tias, T-I-A-S dot com. Those two are probably the two longest standing, and you can go search for them there and then see if their prices kind of compare to what you're finding on eBay, or you can just buy on eBay. That is that is super helpful. Now, where can people find you if they want to keep up with you and, you know, learn more about what you're doing? Well, um, they can find me on Instagram, of course. Um, and it's just at Rainhirsch, or you can go to rainhirsch.com and you can contact me there. <laughs>